Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, we welcome Erwin Verwecken. It's a former professional cyclocross rider from Belgium and one of the organizers of the UCI World Gravel Championship Series. He's been involved in the sport of cycling over 20 years and has played a key role in the development of the UCI Gravel Series. I thought it was important to get a European's perspective on the race series and how it fits into the global gravel cycling scene. Obviously, when UCI got involved a few years ago, there was a lot of rumbling from the gravel community about how it might change the sport. I think you'll see from Irwin's perspective that he understands the global context of gravel racing, and it will be interesting to see how the World Series of Gravel evolves over the coming years. What's for sure is that in 2023, the U.S. team, both on the men's and women's side, really seemed to enjoy the event and I think it holds a more important place in professional riders' calendars in 2024. And obviously, let's not discount the fact that masters riders and other age group category riders can also go to the Gravel World Championships and represent our country. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. But before we dive in, I do need to thank this week's sponsor, Dynamic Cyclist. Just before stepping into the studio, I was lamenting my slightly sore lower back and thinking I need to pop open the Dynamic Cyclist app and jump into one of the routines. If you're not familiar with Dynamic Cyclist, it's a company that has been focused on video-based stretching and strengthening routines for a handful of years now. They've got a vast catalog of content from kind of a a general progression series that can benefit any cyclist to some injury specific sequences. So if you've got a a low back problem, there's a six week low back focus and it's a mixture of the things you need to do. Obviously there's stretching in there, but there's also a little core work and some of the other things that honestly will help put you in a much, much better position for your gravel cycling objectives in 2024. I know I'm stepping up my game. I have plans to sign up for a lot longer event than I've ever done before. And I know it's probably less concerning about how my legs will perform and more concerning how the rest of my body will perform. So I'm definitely digging into the Dynamic Cyclist content catalog and really trying to make the time. Everything is less than 15 minutes. So honestly, I've got no excuse, nor do you. Speaking of no excuses, head on over to dynamiccyclist.com. You can use the coupon code THEGRAVELRIDE for 15% off. But don't take my word for it. They've got a one-week free trial you can tap into. So really no reason not to give it a try and see if it fits into your routine. Remember, for 15% off any of their plans, it's the coupon code THEGRAVELRIDE. With that behind us, let's jump right into my conversation with Erwin. Erwin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure of being here. I'm excited to talk to you and learn more about the UCI World Gravel Championships and a little bit of the history there. But as always, just love to start out with learning a little bit about you. I know you've got a a strong history in the sport of cycling. So just a quick overview of how you got involved in the sport. And then let's talk about how you got involved in kind of the event organizing side of the sport with UCI. Yeah, so I've been a pro rider mainly in cyclocross uh, from 1995 till 2010, so a 16 year career in, uh, in cyclocross. Uh, uh, from the age of 22 till 38. And then when I retired from cycling in 2010, I started to work uh, as a cyclocross and also a bit of mountain bike coordinator uh, at Golazzo. Golazzo is a Belgian sports marketing company. Um, uh, at that time, we were I wouldn't say small, but yeah, it's 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 grown a lot in in the last uh, fifteen years, um, and so initially I was only doing cyclocross uh, in winter and mountain bike in summer, and then gradually uh, I got other projects, and in twenty eleven we started to talk to the to the UCI to 
uh, well, to reform a bit the, the Masters Road World Championship. So, um, yeah, everybody knows Ironman. Ironman uh, and triathlon, you have to qualify somewhere in an Ironman worldwide uh, to get your ticket for the World Championships. And, uh, well, the, the, the Road Masters World Championships uh, at the UCI, they were always organized in the same city in, in the same period for, for 20 years in Austria. Uh, and there were some complaints, of course, because the, the yeah, always the same course, uh, the same type of riders. Um, yeah, world championships should move. Eh? Uh, one day it should be a flat and fast race, and then uh, a race for climbers or for classical riders. So we came with a proposal to reform it, like in Ironman, with the qualifier series, uh, which which started in 2011 with seven qualifier events and then a world championships. And well, it moved from seven the next year to 13, 14, then 20. And yeah, now for next year, it's uh, 30 events. It's the biggest series we've ever had, 2024. I mean, I'm curious, Erwin, when, when you expanded the qualification, the number of qualification races, did you end up expanding the number of athletes that could actually compete in the world championships for the Masters? Yeah. Uh, so it has always been 25%. Per age group will qualify for the world championships, and so the results are made up, made up per age group. Um, and and uh, yeah, so fr- from that uh, point, uh, uh, yeah, first year I think we had 700 riders at the world championships, uh, and then it grew to over a thousand, thousands, five hundred, two thousand. And in the last few years, we are in between two and a half and three thousand, which is still okay. Uh, one year we decided to lower the percentage of qualified riders from 25 to 20 because of safety. Yeah, we, we got 3,000 riders at the start of, uh, of one single event on, on, on a day, uh, so the Grand Fondo World Championships. But then it was uh, yeah, 2020, the COVID year, so and, and, and afterwards, uh, yeah, it took some time for riders to start traveling again, so we, we went back to 25%. And in that idea, in 2019, at the end of the season, in a debriefing with UCI, we proposed also to to make up a similar series of gravel events. Gravel is big in in the States. Uh, I think the first real gravel events date from 2005, 2006 or so. Um, And they, yeah, we saw in in Europe and other continents, but mainly in Europe, um, gravel has always been... Uh, a bit more recreational, um, never competitive. Um, and it's only, let's say, the last five years that there's really competitive gravel events. Um, so, so yeah, in, at the end of 2019, we proposed a similar setup with the qualifier series uh, leading up to a yearly world championships, uh, which then, well, got postponed in 2020, 2021 because of COVID. Huh? Uh, so the the... The first season was 2022 with 11 qualifier events uh, and this year already 18 and next year 25. So, yeah, it's growing very fast and especially the number of participants is growing very, very fast. So, um, and, and the big difference is in gravel, in the gravel world series and also the gravel world championships, also elite riders can participate. So where the, the Grand Fondo World Series is mainly for masters and amateurs, uh, the Gravel World Series and the Gravel World Championships is, is, is for everybody. Uh, but still in the same concept where in front there is a real battle amongst the best elite riders, but in the back you, as a recreational rider, you can also participate. And if you're really fit and, and keen and, and, and also for the masters at a later age, you can still qualify for the world championships and also right there together with, well, this year, eh, Wout van Aert, Mohoric, uh, Follering, they were all at the start. So, yeah, I can imagine if you if you start in the back and, and, and you're just five minutes behind these riders uh, at the start, uh, that it's an amazing feeling to, to be in the same race with all those top stars. Yeah, yeah. That's I remember speaking to Bruce from the Highland Gravel Classic yeah. in Arkansas, who's the the one US gravel race that's part of the UCI series yeah. this year and the coming year in 2024. And I remember walking away from that conversation with that same feeling that despite what some people in the United States may think about, you know, high performance gravel racing and as it may detour from their vision of a community style gravel race as people who are around the sport and like other aspects of the sport, 
just being able to line up at a at a UCI event with the names you just mentioned would be a, a thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, I think so. Um, of course, gravel in the states uh, uh, is 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 much older and has much more tradition. And uh, your biggest events are are still bigger than than the UCI events. Uh, our biggest event this year was thousand seven hundred. And probably next year we will go over 2,000. But yeah, if you speak about the real classics, uh, Unbound and, 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 well, you have several of them. They are more than double than our biggest race at the moment. But I think we, we still have potential to grow. Um, I see that um, th- what, what really excites me is that after all these events, and especially after the World Championships, you, all, you hear all these top stars telling, hey, this was fun. Huh? What Van Aert had big trouble, a flat tire, a crash at the World Championships. But he still continued because he liked it so much and he yeah, enjoyed riding a gravel race. So, he, yeah, he is, by the way, my neighbor huh? because he's living in the same city as, as me. Even, well, um, if you count in miles like you do in the states, uh, it's it's a bit more than a mile from where I live. Uh, and and he called me and and told, hey, uh, I want to do a, a UCI gravel race because I want to do the World Championships this year. So all of a sudden, he was there at the Belgian qualifier event in August, and then uh, six weeks later at the World Championships, and and he really enjoyed it. Um, so. And that's the good thing. They are pure ambassadors, not only for cycling sports uh, in general, but also for gravel because uh, they have a lot of fun. Um, Valverde was there. Moritz, he said, well, it's my first gravel race I ever did, World Championships. I always liked going off-road, mountain bike, but in gravel, there's much more speed. It's much more fun. And, and yeah, I want to do this more next year, especially because, of course, he's wearing the, the nice rainbow jersey. That's right. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how within the European peloton, if it follows the U.S., you know, in in the early days of gravel, as professional athletes started moving over, like Ted King, for example, would dabble in it. And then I think he told some of his ex-pro tour friends that, hey, this is fun. Plus, you started to see them being able to make a career out of it. And obviously, the, the likes of Wout Van Aert is not going to leave the pro tour anytime soon. But it is interesting to think about riders who are later in their career, who still have power in their legs and enthusiasm in their heart to start seeing European gravel racing as a way to extend their career in a way that maybe gives them a little bit more joy than they had racing in the pro peloton after all those years. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I I think there are two types of riders. You have the the real top stars, like Wout van Aert and like Moritz and and Demi Vollering. And I'm sure they will probably do one or two events a year when it fits in their program. But their focus will never be on gravel uh, during the season. But, well, the position of the Gravel World Championships at the end of the road season uh, is ideal for them to end their season and I'm sure that uh, one day, uh, probably also uh, Pogacar will be there. He, he was already there at the first World Championships last year, but wasn't allowed from his team to take part. But he was in the, in the VIP area at the finish line. Uh, the day after he, he won the Tour of Lombardia, huh? so the last classic of the season, it was on Saturday and the, and the Gravel World Championships were well nearby. It's only uh, 100 kilometers away. Um, so and he really enjoyed it, and he said, "Well, I want to do this race." But yeah, it's still um, there's still like the feeling of okay, this is a dangerous sport. Uh, you can crash, you can yeah, whatever, and it can jeopardize your next season. But as it's at the end of the season, I don't see really a point. Uh, you see some some crashes, and 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 yeah, that's that's probably part of of gravel, but it's not like a, a major crash. It's always in small groups. Uh, gravel is, is is not to be compared with with mountain bike or cyclocross. It's a, it's right. It's an off road discipline, but the type of event is much more a road race, um, and that's what we also also see in the last two years. I, I'm having my background in, in cyclocross, and cyclocross is very big in Belgium. But the real gravel, I uh, know the real cyclocross specialists, like the ones who do the full season of cyclocross uh, and not focus on the road. Yeah, they usually by the end of the race, the last hour, they 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 lose contact with the with 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 the, the roadies. Um, uh, gravel is much more a road race than 
it will never be a cyclocross or a mountain bike. It, it's not technical at all. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, in my opinion, it's 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 for the pure road specialists from the from the spring classics. Eh? The, the ones who like uh, Paris Roubaix, who like Tour of Flanders, uh, those type of guys. They are the ones who are yeah. the real gravel specialists. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think one thing that we've learned in racing gravel over these years is that anything can happen, and it's your ability as a rider to deal with unpredictable situations. And to your point, as a cyclocross racer, every lap there's an unpredictable situation that you have to deal with, yeah. and you have to deal with nursing your bike and not being too hard on the equipment. And yeah. there's certainly no, you know, there's no team car following no. you very quickly. Although in cyclocross, you can swap bikes. Yeah, you can switch bikes two times a lap, um, and and you can have it cleaned and and everything. So, um, no, that's that's. I think it makes. Part of the story why it's it's so popular because uh, Wout van Aert he, he lost ten minutes at the World Championships but he still continued, and it's more like the epic ride like you see in uh, in Paris Roubaix. Uh, it's it's kind of a survival race. Um, yeah. Even though you have a lot of bad luck in the beginning, the race is never over. You you can still continue. You can, you can still make up and and and, and uh, close gaps and and so. Yeah, that feeling of, of 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 like a real epic race in in epic circumstances. At this moment, we we had to ice the, the world championships in in dry in dry circumstances. But yeah, one day we'll also have them in uh, in very wet circumstances, like you had. Uh, I think Unbound was this year in, in in very muddy conditions. So yeah, and that will make it very epic. Uh, but to me, it's it's yeah. If you compare it with European. Cycling, it's 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 much more a copy of uh, what Parijo is every year. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you to the to the extent in which you you were there and understand the run up when that first World Championships event happened and the qualifiers. How were you thinking about the the criteria for the course and course construction? Were there some constraints that the UCI put on? The event to make it in the mold of what they were expecting. Well, the the first year, first of all, um, because of COVID and 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 yeah, the, the, let's say COVID ended, but uh, yeah, everybody was still afraid to set up a new event and even the World Championships uh, beginning of twenty twenty two. We had a few candidates uh, to run the World Championships, but uh, one after another, they decided, okay, maybe it's. Too early. Uh, let's skip 2022, but we'll focus on 2023 or 2024. Um, so we found an organizer rather late in uh, Italy. Yeah? So uh, Filippo Pozzato, the ex-pro rider, and he did a good job because it was like a, on a short period. He had to prepare the World Championships, but the World Championships were not the typical gravel race I know from from this, doing this series. And for sure, not the typical gravel race you have in the States. Uh, it was like a 50-50 road gravel race. And even the gravel was like, yeah, it was flat. It, it was, um, yeah, to me, a bit too much of a road race. Um, um, yeah. And, but yeah, it was all last minute. I think the, 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 the organizer was awarded two months prior to the race. Uh, then, yeah, the, the full process of having courses approved, having them checked, and then getting the necessary approvals from the different towns. Yeah, it took some time, and there was not really time enough to to to, to make an update, um, um, which was done this year. This year, uh, we had to switch organizer. Uh, it was also uh, only, only two months before the World Championships, but the course which was presented was much better than... than the first edition uh, in percentage was more off-road, uh, more gravel, but also much more exciting, uh, flat, uh, yeah, paved sections in between, but also a lot of elevation uh, and a very beautiful course. I think very different from what you have in the States. Huh? Um, if, if I see the images yeah. and, the, and the videos from, from Unbound and, and the American races, yeah, they are even more road racing uh, on gravel roads. Um, you have, in, in percentage, much more gravel roads, 
but it's less technical than what we see uh, as gravel events in, in, in mainly Europe, which are, um, I wouldn't say they are not more towards mountain bike, for sure not, but they are um, not wide open, big boulevards where you can ride the truck. Uh, it's always a smaller, yeah. Uh, yeah, forest roads, farm roads. Yeah. Um, it's, it's more technical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, a wide diversity of gravel racing in the United States. Obviously, to your point, the unbound may be on sort of dirt roads the yeah. entire time. And that's maybe a lot the of image we races. have from, from American gravel racing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very interesting to hear you say that because if I'm thinking about like what you might see from an unbound or an SBT gravel, that would very much be the takeaway I would have as well that these are you know, sort of road racing style, open, you know, wide roads that give a lot of opportunity for moving around. Um, but if you dig into the gravel cycling world, there are a lot of events that really push the capabilities of the bikes okay. yeah. and really create sections that have a huge impact on the race based on one's technical abilities. Yeah. So, you know, they might go into single track, they might go into mud they might have river crossings all the types of things that would really push both the riders skill levels and equipment yeah well for, for the uci uh, two things of course when, when we started up the, the the uci gravel series and the gravel world championships um one of the first things we decided is uh, you have a few of of of, yeah, of very long uh, endurance races uh and month is uh, 300 kilometers or even more huh? 200 miles um, yeah, 200 um, miles. Yeah. We decided to, with the UCI Gravel World Series, to have like the typical um, duration of a road race. So five, six hours um, racing, not not like unmounted, I guess 10, 11 hours of racing. Eh? Uh, and that's what we are. That's right. We're not aiming for that. That's, that's like, yeah, a very big endurance race. Uh, our goal is to keep it in between 150 and 200 kilometers, um, depending a bit on the elevation and on what is available. Um, and then uh, a second thing is so like single track is, it, it is possible when there's no alternative. So to connect two sections uh, with a small single track uh, towards the end of the race, yeah, it, it's not prefer, preferred, but uh, if, if there's no other solution, then we allow it. But the big majority should be uh, on wide open gravel roads where we can also ride a car. That's that's the goal of, uh, of the UCI Gravel World Series. Yeah, I certainly noticed in the, in the race coverage this past year and certainly commentary from both the men and women on the, the US team that the narrowness of the roads, and you hear this refrain, even when road cyclists go over to Europe, it's just another world when you're trying to pack 200 people into these, through these narrow villages. And certainly the other big thing that stood out in some of the video I saw was some of the, um, the 180 degree switchbacks on the roads and trails that the riders had to navigate and the, the chaos that ensued around that and how that impact the race. Yeah, well, I'm not sure about the 180 degree turns. Uh, you mean now in the last World Championships? Yeah, there was one scene that I saw the riders cutting across the the earliest part of the corner to get around and join the group. That was yeah, there were some quite uh, visually well, stunning. It's, it's the famous YouTube video from from the the first half an hour of the of the gravel world championships uh, in the elite category yeah? i don't know i think it's from an yeah. american rider who, who filmed it with his scope yeah i think it's from yeah. payson McKelvin. yeah and and yeah. yeah it gives a good idea of the hectic uh, in the start huh uh, and of course well our 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 courses are not fenced they are just marked with signs huh? and, and everybody has a a gps device on on his bike um so that's yeah well I presume it's also the same in the states. Eh? You don't have uh, uh, tape uh, to, to 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 prevent riders from cutting corners. So um, I think that's that's the spirit of gravel. So um, yeah, it's only in the in the first 10, 15 k in uh, uh, in the course. Uh, but next year, because then we are ourselves the organizers. So the company I'm working for, Golazzo, is uh, organizing the, the next World Championships in Belgium. Um, 
yeah, uh, it will hardly be impossible to to cut corners there uh, in the, in the first part of the race. Um, where it's possible, yeah, we'll probably uh, also try to prevent it uh, without making too much. Yeah, um, it's 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 never the goal to make like a fenced cyclocross or mountain bike course. Um, that's that's not our goal. But yeah, different type of racing. Uh, I've done, yeah, because I'm, I'm managing the, these these races and I'm, of course, also ex-pro rider. So I take my bike to a lot of these events uh, and try to ride them to get a good impression on, on the different type of events. Uh, if I compare our events, um, uh, which are in the series, it's, it, there's indeed a lot of different events. Uh, next year, we will also uh, organize the, the Belgian gravel championships, uh, which are very typical American style, unbound style uh, gravel racing, which is very uncommon in Belgium. But yeah, in the north, there's like a, a, a section where, where we can have those kind of races. Uh, so there's a bit of a difference, but but yeah, uh, the, the good thing about gravel is that uh, you can have very technical races, um, uh, but, but the majority are on wide open roads fast uh, uh, you don't need to be too technical if you see um, Mohrich winning the world championships although I think he's very technical as a rider, as a roadie uh, but also Jasper Staven winning the, the first European championships and I don't think he's very technical as a roadie so uh, yeah it's uh, it's something which which can suit any any uh, any road specialist Gotcha. And when you think about the courses in the men's courses and the women's courses, as I understand it, they differed in distance. Can you talk a little bit about the logic behind that? Well, I know that in in in, in the States and also, let's say, in, in, in general, in English-speaking countries, it's also the same in Britain and in Australia. There's, uh, there's a big movement to have women and men having the, the same distance. If you see at cycling uh, in history, and then I mean from 50 years back, and even now, huh, all disciplines uh, being cyclocross, mountain bike, road, uh, women and men have different distances for their world championships and world cups. Uh, you can be, uh, it's, it's worth a discussion. Uh, I know that um, in, in the English speaking countries, there's more. Uh, a vote to have them equal, but I don't think there's, well, gender equality doesn't mean that they have to have the, the same distance. I think the media attention should be the same and, and the price money should be the same, but uh, <clears throat> the the distance, uh, if you have uh, the women racing over 260 to 170 kilometers, uh, the road world championships, it would give a totally different dynamic and it would mean uh, a much more individual race by the end of the race uh, because then it's pure endurance. Well, for the men, uh, yeah, it's it, it's another type of race. So I'm I'm not really convinced if they should have uh, the same distance for men and women. Um, are you thinking about it in terms of time? Are you shooting for a similar amount of time out there on the bike for both? The no, men not even time. Um, we did many surveys amongst the participants after the world championships, uh, both in Grand Fondo and Gravel. And if you ask uh, women if they prefer to have the same distance as men, probably Americans and yeah, Australians, they would go for yeah, the same distance. But it depends also a bit on, on what riders prefer. Eh? Uh, everybody is, is uh, well, if, if you're somebody who has a great endurance, uh, you will pick the same distance as the man. If you're more explosive yeah. and you're more a tactic, uh, 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 yeah, a, a strong sprinter type of rider, you prefer a shorter course. So, but in general, we see that. Uh, if we ask men, women directly, our participants, that the majority still prefers a shorter distance for uh, for women. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting debate, and I'm certainly not one to opine too strongly one way or the other. But I do imagine that you have more dynamic racing in the shorter yeah, distances. That's, and that's I'm what sure I get people complaining with me about. Referred this. to so yeah. I. I don't know, women on the road, for instance, the uh, the Road World Championships now in, in Glasgow for women, 
I don't know, but I think they were 150, 160, and men were 260. Yeah? In general, they were around that distance. But if you have the women also on the 260, well, it will be a pure endurance race, and by the end, they will be. There's a big chance that there will be one, one by one. So, um, and then Annemiek van Vloten can start racing again because she's she's a super strong rider who, who survives everybody by the end of the race when it's a very hard race. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it's worth the discussion. But if you ask the riders, I think the majority will still prefer to have a shorter distance for women. Uh, because it's indeed another dynamic. Yeah. When you think about, uh, and I, I do want to get into the master's element of this, because I think that's fascinating. And for our listeners who are non-professional athletes, I think it's a great and interesting opportunity. But one final question at, at the elite level, how do you uh, determine how many riders an individual country can bring to the event? Well, so the the, the basic goal is that everybody should qualify but uh, in order to promote the first editions of the world championships and, uh, and, and yeah, um, to also have national teams huh, and, and the federations involved um, in 2022 and also this year, the UCI decided to grant 20 wildcards to every national federation for riders. Um, um, so in the past two years, huh, now 2022, 2023, they could be used by any rider. Uh, so also the masters and and and, and the age group riders uh, for 2024 it will only be limited for the elite category, and gradually it's our goal to limit the number of wildcards so riders should be really be encouraged to qualify. But on the other hand, first year we had Peter Sagan, we had Mathieu van der Poel, we had uh, Greg van Aermaat all participating, and without those wildcards they wouldn't have been there. Huh? Uh, Pauline Ferrand Prevost. Yeah. This year, Vollering, uh, Wout van Aert, uh, well, Wout qualified, but uh, the other riders, Mohoric, um, we were really happy with them at the start. So we want to keep a certain amount of, uh, of, of wildcards for the, for the top-level riders. And yeah, we'll see from year to year, uh, evaluate after every edition of the World Championships if we have to stick to, I don't know, maybe 10 wildcards uh, maximum per country or more wildcards for the bigger countries, uh, less wildcards for the smaller countries. But this year we also had riders from Guinea-Bissau and from Barbados and uh, yeah, like very exotic countries at the start. Uh, and they wouldn't have been there without these wildcards. So um, yeah, I'm still in favor of yeah. having them, but maybe limit them a bit more so the riders really are encouraged, are encouraged to, to, to have to go to a qualifier. And you mentioned that that qualification, it sounds like it's standard across the board. If you finish at a UCI Gravel World Cup qualifier event in the top 25%, yeah. you've punched your tickets yeah. to go to the World Championships. Yeah. The only change next year is that um, in the first two years, qualification was always per age group. But then we saw this year Valverde. Yeah, he's uh, in the meantime 42 years old, so he, he then had to qualify in the 40 to 44 age category. And uh, okay, the, the two races he did were, were not the biggest one. Huh? I think the, the one in uh, the two in Spain he won were like five six hundred riders at the start. So then it's still okay to 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 have him in the front. But well, as these events grow bigger and bigger, uh, we decided to also have the elite category as part of the qualifier series. So before every race, you have to choose, okay, I want to go and qualify for the World Championships Elite or for my age group. Uh, so like a rider being 19 to 34 years old, if he chooses to sign up for the elite category, of course, with an elite license, then he can only qualify for the elite category uh, at the World Championships. If he chooses to qualify or to sign up for the age groups, he can only qualify for his age group. Um, and that's what we decided this year to change um, so that the elite category can also have older riders uh, in their 30s, 35, 40 years old, like Valverde, like, uh, yeah, many of them will retire from road racing, yeah, like uh, Jan Baaklands, Nikki Terpstra, uh, yeah, probably also a lot of Americans who are over 35 but still want to race elite at a high level. So, yeah, they didn't get the, the then, opportunity to race elite. You'd, you may have mentioned this earlier, but uh, just so I understand, at, on race day, are the 
amateur men lining up behind the elite men and starting yeah. kind of so the, alongside them? Yeah, at the qualifier events, uh, well, there are different options and we give a lot of freedom to the different organizers to, to set up or the, the setup of the start can either be men elite in front, followed by women elite, and then with a small interval, the age groups. Uh, or we can have men elite followed by men age groups, let's say until the age of 50, and then the women elite, with, all with a small interval. Uh, but it depends a bit on the size of the field. And yeah, I think next year our biggest event will be over 2,000. So then you have to make some rules to to, to make a fair start and a fair race. But we still give the opportunity um, to riders without a license to qualify for the World Championships in their age group. So it's only for the elite category that you need a license. If you want to race uh, in the age groups uh, and you're 42 years old and you still want to do the World Championships, you can go to a qualifier, take part, um, and then qualify for the World Championships. And it's only to sign up for the World Championships that you need a year license. So not to qualify. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Super exciting. Let's talk about the 2024 Trek UCI gravel world series calendar. Yeah. You've expanded now to a total, is it a 26 events? Yeah. Well, there's uh, in the 25 qualifying for the 2024 world championships. And one was in October, uh, past the world championships for the 2025 world championships. Huh? So, uh, but yeah, we have been expanding with uh, a lot of extra races. Huh? So, if I look at the list, one extra in Austria, one extra in Italy. Um, I'm running over the list here now on my computer. Uh, there's a new race in Kenya. There's a new race, uh, a second new race in Germany, Switzerland. Uh, one in Wales, in the UK, um, and then by the end of the season, also a second new one in Spain. Um, and there will most likely be two uh, extra ones being added later, uh, which still are struggling with approvals. Uh, so, yeah, this, uh, this, it's no secret that there's one candidate in Rwanda, huh, where the World Championships on the road take place next, now in 2025. Um, and, and a second one in Switzerland. Uh, they will most likely be added, uh, yeah, in the next few weeks. When you, what does it take for an event to become part of the series? And are these events typically events that have run in the past and then embrace the UCI series and come to you and say, you know, I'd, I'd like to be part of it? Or are they events that happen from the ground up? With the sole intention of being a UCI qualifier, it's it's a mix. Um, we have existing events who have been run as a competitive event before. We have uh, fun events like uh, uh, leisure events, like non-competitive events, who have been switched to a competitive event. We have big organizers who have run professional road racing or Grand Fondo racing, huh? like the race in Switzerland is run by the, the same team who has the, the, the UCR Grand Fondo for many years. Um, yeah, so new events who have all of a sudden started up um, the, the second race in, in uh, Germany, for instance, has run the mountain bike marathon world championships five years ago or six years ago, 2017. Uh, so it's a mix. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's presumably an application process for the event to, to become part of the, the series. Do the events then need to take on that same kind of uh, men will race by themselves, women will race by themselves, the distance will be in it within certain parameters? Yeah. Is that what the how they have to adopt to the UCI landscape? Yeah, well, but as, as I told, uh, we're not too difficult in these first years. We don't want to... The big criticism we had, uh, especially from from uh, from from the states uh, in the beginning, is well, UCR will make it uh, too much regulations and, uh, and things like that. And well, we decided not to make uh, any regulations. So the bike is free, of course, no e-bike. But uh, if you want to raise a mountain bike or a gravel bike or a road bike, whatever bike you like, the perfect bike which fits best for that course is. is is, is, is free to use. Uh, distance, well, there's a, a rule now, I think the minimum distance is 75k 
and a maximum 200. Um, but for the rest, uh, there's no regulation on tire width. Uh, starting procedure is also quite flexible. Uh, we discuss it with every organizer, but uh, yeah, we are pretty flexible in, in allowing things. Gotcha. One of the things that, that struck me when I looked at the 2024 calendar was we still only have one event here in the United States. Yeah. Is that intentional? Is it just no, the, no, no, the market for events? And the, the, Let's say that we would like to have um, in the, the, the big traditional cycling countries in Europe, two events eh? like we have now, two in Belgium, two in Holland, two in Germany, two in Switzerland, two in Italy, two in Spain. Uh, only one in France, two in the UK. And then for the big countries like the, the States, Canada or Australia, uh, we can go up to three events. And I've been in very good contacts with, with potential uh, uh, yeah, interested organizers who have started the process of yeah, um, yeah, uh, having different online meetings with me, but also, of course, on their side, uh, getting the approvals um, and, and, and speaking to their sponsors. And we have been very close with one organizer, um, yeah, to, to, to finally become the second qualifier. And I'm sure that in 2025, we will have at least two, probably even three events. Uh, and also in Canada, I'm in touch with a, a, a second Canadian event, uh, which is likely to sign and which I had expected to sign already for 2024. But yeah, the, the it's also the same in, in, uh, in Grand Fondo racing, um, it's 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 more challenging for me to convince uh, an American organizer to to join the the series. Um, a part of it is because well, the um, there is like um, let's say uh, uh, a general criticism in everything which is related to regulations and to federations within the states. That's what I learned from my different contacts. Huh? Yeah. Uh, people don't like to be too regulated, huh? uh, although I think we are quite flexible. Um, uh, and uh, another big thing is in Europe, there is a, yeah, for organizers, and we are speaking about the financial part of the, of, 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 of organizing an event is in, in, uh, in the States, there's not such a system of, of government funding. So in Europe, but also in, in Africa, we have three African events, uh, two in Australia, uh, people, organizers apply for fundings with the city, the region, or an entity from the government which puts in money to promote events of a high level, but also because they generate a lot of tourism. Huh? If I see that this year, the European Championships, we organized ourselves uh, uh, on the 1st of October. Well, we had 1,700 riders coming from, I don't know exactly... 30 or 35 different countries, but they all stay in a hotel for a few nights because they want to uh, do a reckon ride uh, a few days before they stay after they go and have dinner, they buy a souvenir, they rent a car. So there's a lot of economic return for the region. And that system doesn't really exist in the, in the States as far as I know from, from my country. Yeah. You know, it's true. I've talked about this on a number of occasions with different event organizers and it's, it is super interesting. Like there are some rural regions that are trying to reinvent themselves where you do get some of that interplay with the local city government and great deal of enthusiasm to bring riders in because having a thousand people and their families over a weekend is a great economic boom for those cities. And then in other cases, you have the exact opposite uh, mentality, which is we don't want any more people coming here. We don't need athletes to come into our town, you know, particularly yeah, I live in the San Francisco which, Bay Area. And which is really a pity. Yeah? Um, yeah. I, I think very much so. Sports, sports in general, especially while well, I'm living in Belgium, which uh, is, is probably the cycling country uh, to, together with Italy and France. Uh, we have uh, every little town has its own club and has at least a competitive rider and it's, uh, yeah, uh, you have to drive maximum one hour to do a race on, on Saturday and Sunday uh, in every discipline. So that's that's the good thing about, uh, well, living in a traditional cycling country, but also for organizers. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, 
so yeah the, the the fundings we have are necessary to set up big events and they are live on television it's part of our culture they generate as i told you a lot of economic return but not only economic return it's also yeah promotion for the region if you have like a very nice uh, yeah uh, area with with a beautiful nature it can it's a good promotion for 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 the region to to generate also other type of tourism eh? the the race we now organize yeah. on the 1st of Jan, uh, October which will also fit as a, as a the first no the, the the next world championships next year eh? in in Belgium yeah, it's it's a it's a national park. It's a big forest area. It's being promoted now through these kind of events and the weeks before, but especially the weeks after the European Championships we organized there. It was full of of people, yeah, uh, hiking, uh, um, riding their bikes, and they also come and then yeah, uh, it it generates tourism and tourism means money for the region. And um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. that's the good thing about uh, yeah cycling in in in, yeah. in Belgium, for instance. Yeah, yeah. If I was to sort of read the tea leaves, so to speak, about the U.S. gravel cycling scene sentiment around the UCI Gravel World Championships and the qualifier events, I would say I am reading a marked change this year after the event. Yeah, we sent. Some of our best athletes over there, there was good exposure. Obviously, we wish that the, the the women's race was able to be televised, but I understand what happened there. But seeing the scene and seeing the camaraderie of the, the U.S. team, I believe has translated to a sort of a, a general uplifting of the UCI brand within Gravel yeah. and this idea that, you know, the racing is different. It's 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 different and unique in its own way. And the experience is quite powerful, you know, to go to a world level event where you're representing your country, whether it's at an elite level or at the master's level, it's just super exciting. And it's a a feeling that compares differently to what it feels like to be at Unbound or SBT Gravel. It's its own unique and special thing. But yes. I think more U.S. riders are, are now aspiring to. No, I, I'm sure. Uh, so Unbound is, well, uh, uh, the biggest gravel event worldwide and a, a long tradition. And it's, it's, but, but it's still, uh, uh, I guess, a 90 or 95 percent based American event. Huh? Participants, uh, they come from many different countries, but the big majority is still American. If you're at the World Championships, you're... First of all, dressed in your national kit, which is very prestigious. It's very, yeah, uh, riders are proud, and especially Americans are proud to wear their, the national colors. Uh, they ride in a team, they travel towards an event, uh, and then you're next shoulder to shoulder at the start grid next to a British rider, an Italian, a Slovenian, a Belgian, uh, which creates a special atmosphere. Um, and yeah, the first year there was a lot of criticism on the course. and. I agree for a part of it. Um, I, was, I wasn't the best course. I was not also also not a hundred percent convinced on the course this year. It was pure promotion for gravel, uh, and and the fact that uh, yeah, also your best gravel rider huh, Keegan Swanson was there. Uh, yeah, was also a good promotion for our world championships. But yeah, in the end, I'm sure that let him develop. Uh, a bit longer in, in an international gravel scene, huh? he, he'll probably, yeah, he, he can win the world championships for sure. And then he would be a great ambassador uh, wearing the the, 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 the the rainbow jersey also in the States. So, and our biggest goal is to still, because we have been in talks with USA Cycling to bring the, the world championships uh, to, to the States. And there were some very interested uh, organizers. Uh, we were very close to a deal uh, in the first year, but unfortunately, well, then uh, they were a bit hesitating and, and decided to skip for the next few years. But then given the very big explosion of gravel racing in, uh, in Europe, all of a sudden, yeah, it was awarded until now, uh, 2028. Eh? Uh, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, they missed an opportunity. Have- uh, yeah, that's disappointing. Have you so we know that 2024 will be in Belgium. Yeah. Have you announced where the roadmap goes in the subsequent years? Yeah, 2025 is France, Nice, huh? so the south of France. 
2026 is, is uh, the seventh event in Western Australia, uh, which is now already part of the of the of the UCR Gravel World Series. 2027 is again the combined World Championships of the UCR, which now took place in Glasgow this past uh, August, and they will then also have gravel, uh, which is again in France. Eh? So the Haute Savoie region, which is the Alps, it's. Uh, uh, if you see the yeah. mountain stages of the Tour de France, so that area, and will be a lot of climbing. Um, that's 2027, and then 2028 is Alula in Saudi Arabia, uh, which is a big sports city, and they have a big and huge yeah. budget uh, to promote cycling, and especially gravel is one of their key interests. So, um, and then 2029, I know there's a lot of interest, um, um, and. Uh, yeah, hopefully one day. I, I'm sure that if we have a very good candidate in the states, uh, the UCR would be very happy to 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 have the World Championships awarded to to the states. Uh, uh, because, well, in the end, the history of gravel racing is 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 in in the US Midwest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Erwin, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate learning more about UCI's approach and everything you're doing to promote the sport. Very much appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure. It's uh, also, it was nice talking to an American audience. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, happy to to explain what we are doing and what our plans are uh, for the future years. Amazing. Thanks again. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Irwin and learning about the UCI World Gravel Series. I thought it was very valuable to get his perspective. And honestly, I'm excited to see where the Gravel World Championships will grow to. I have attended as a, not as a participant, obviously, but as a fan to a number of World Championships events on the road. And I, it's so exciting. It's so fun being a fan of your national colors around all those other fans from around the globe. So I hope the Gravel World Championship achieves that type of enthusiasm. And hopefully at some point, as he alluded to, we can get it here in the United States to make it easier to attend. I also need to thank this week's sponsor, Dynamic Cyclist. Remember, 15% off using the code THEGRAVELRIDE. And until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.